0: Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, welcome back to Media Voices after what feels like an absolute age. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm
1: Peter Huston.
0: And before we get going, we do have another guest this week, don't we? So Joe, why don't you give her a quick introduction to who you are and what you do?
1: Hi, I'm
2: Joe Cummings, I'm a freelance editor and writer, and I'm also editorial director of the grub street journal
0: which happens to be what we're discussing today along with what kind of idiots still make magazines in 2023 so we've obviously been away for a while we decided we're going to come back with something a little bit different so we're not having a guest interview instead we've asked joe who along with peter is deep into production i imagine already on the next issue of the Grub Street journal um, and we're going to be talking about everything to do with print magazines from including WeatherPrint is having a bit of a resurgence. Before we get going, I do want to mention that in the interim, so since we published the last episode of Big Noises, we have launched a community hub. So you can get involved in that by going to voices.media. You can get involved in discussions about everything media-related, non-media-related. Peter, me and you had a big fight about 80s music. <laughs> For the most part, we are just launching a community hub so we can actually deliver that uh, the value that we've always known that Media Voices can
1: there's, I guess, I guess there's a hundred people on there, give or take, and it comes down to maybe ten percent of them, and I think that's really interesting.
0: Well, it's always been the case that it's been, you know, a proportion of lurkers versus active participants versus, you know, the the super users, and so we're sort of getting our, I suppose, first taste of trying to do something that a lot of newspapers and magazines have been doing for a long time but because we are so specific and because we do have a very strong community we would encourage everybody to go on there get involved in this experiment and you can do that by going to voices.media uh, but esther that's not the only thing that we've been doing is it what else is coming up
3: yeah there's no summer break really, was that? Uh, so we've also actually joined forces with media makers meet uh, mx3 they um They've actually taken over What's New in Publishing as well, so who we've been working with for quite a long time. Um, We're joining forces to present MX3 AI, which is a sort of pop-up event we're holding in London on the 7th of December this year. Um, We're just bringing together all all sorts of industry decision makers. We're going to come and discuss the latest AI developments, but we want to keep it really practical, like what can publishers actually do, what's worth the hype, what isn't, um, and just really sort of cut through the noise a little bit. So I'm super excited about that. I'm hoping to actually be able to get there, but it may be with a that may be with a baby, Dr. to who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you want a little bit more info about that, uh, we've got a post on our website, voices.media about it, or you can go to mx3ai.com. Uh, we're going to make sure it's really conversational, really productive. There's going to be some end-of-year networking Christmas drinks, um, and I think we're going to do a podcast and report from it as well, um, in association with MX3. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out if you're, in, if you're looking at what AI can do for your business at all. You need to be at that
2: one. I was just going to say, Esther, you mentioned having a baby. Strapped to your chest and I hope it was your own baby you were talking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll just like
3: take a random pass as well. Why why would I voluntarily inflict that on myself anymore?
0: But yeah. Congratulations. We actually haven't spoken about that on the podcast yet. So, congratulations again oh. on uh, on on birthing a second child. Thanks. Can
3: I some commiserations? Um, I'm sure parents <laughs> of two will will can picture what my face is looking like already.
0: But Peter and Joe, you basically have taken on what I would describe as a a weird mix well, you of. You've birth a child of your un-enviable. own, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways.
2: It's almost as tiring as a real baby.
0: (laughs) So, (laughs) I I mean, I suppose (laughs) the question is (laughs) uh, not minimizing your experience at all. (laughs) So I assumed when this first came out that this was a play on Wall Street Journal. But apparently, I mean, I've learned from the document that you put together that that is not the case. So why the name Grub Street Journal? Well, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Sit down, children. History lesson
1: about to begin. (laughs) There actually was a magazine called The Grub Street Journal. And it was published- in your youth. <laughs> in his youth in 1730.
2: <laughs> one, it tough.
3: was
1: published in London between 1730 and 1738. <laughs> uh, and it was a satire on the emerging profession of journalism and hack writing. So
0: basically- well, thank God we don't have that
1: anymore.
2: It's <laughs> come such a long way. <laughs>
1: So it's basically people taking the piss out of other writers. And we just thought, yeah, okay, there's a, there's a vibe there that we kind of like. What's, what's really interesting, so we applied to the British Library to get a ISN number. <laughs> and we got this letter back, thank you very much for the application. Well, we do you realise that there... It was already a magazine called The Grub Seat John. It was published <laughs> in London from 1730 to 1737. Um, we assume there is no connection between this and <laughs> your publication. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> This it is this a, a connecting
0: life. ethos, maybe, but yeah, that's a fun one. I see. I had no idea about that. Yeah,
1: so that's why it's called Grub Seat John. It's got nothing to do with food, nothing to do with little maggots.
2: So we do have a little grub in the logo. Uh,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And
1: so I suppose then the
0: the first question we should begin with is what was the impetus for actually launching the Group Suit Journal? We we've, we've we've you know featured it in newsletters, we've mentioned it on the site. We've mentioned it in previous episodes actually. But what was the impetus for launching Group Suit Journal?
2: Well, we obviously both work in the industry and talk a lot about all the issues and the big questions and the people we want to speak to. And I was inspired when I did the Magazine Street magazine in a day um, to do something similar and we kind of said almost why haven't we thought of it before I've obviously been an editor for a long time you've not been on magazines for a while have you but obviously very well connected loves to rant about things so he, we really, he
0: loves magazines
2: he does love magazines so we really wanted um a really cool new platform to combine our skills and knowledge and tackle some of the big questions, some of the tough questions that people tend to be a little bit more idealistic about. Mm. wanted to kind of get real and be a bit more honest about it.
0: <laughs> well, look, what the f*** <laughs> made you decide that this was something that was going to be worth the effort ultimately?
1: Well, it still remains to be seen whether it is actually worth the effort. <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> but what Joe said about getting word on his street back, it was such a buzz seeing that. You know, Joe worked on that uh, in Edinburgh over the course of a day during a conference with Simon Esserton, and it was just beautiful, and it it looked amazing, it felt great, and I, I guess we kind of thought, oh, we can do that. <laughs> um, but obviously I've worked... Mm, Ninety nine percent of my time in B two B, so the idea was let's do something different. You know, there's so many publications, websites, blogs, newsletters, podcasts. Dare I say, mm-hmm. that deal really, really well with, with you know media and publishing and all those issues. But <laughs> sometimes- oh, you meant us? <laughs> Sorry, that took me a long time to get. <laughs> See what I've got? What? That that so, we spend so much time, you know. I'll use Media Voice as an example. We spend so much time talking about KPIs and performance metrics and strategies and and all the things that are important and help people do a better job. (laughs) But no one's talking about the people, no one's talking about what people think, what people feel, uh, what
2: people go through the processes, the, they go through the skills they need, um, the changes they experience, and that's the kind of human side of it was something we really wanted to capture, wasn't it? Yeah, so
1: it's a B2B magazine, but the focus is on the people that are doing the business rather than the strategic aspect. And it's an indie magazine, so it costs a tenner. Ha-ha, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I and,
2: and it's on that paper.
1: <laughs> All no, the no, no qualified Ooh. registration here <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I remember we we oh, was a couple of years ago the uh, Media Voices team, the three of us went up to Edinburgh and uh, for the International Magazine Festival and there was a space upstairs where they were selling indie titles on the mezzanine and I bought one that was just called Dog and it, I think it was like <laughs> 13 quid but it was the quality of it was just unbelievable and you could tell it was an enthusiast's mag that they just really wanted to write about dogs. Mm -hmm. But I remember even then thinking, what is the business case for this? Because, you know, how do you even find an audience? I know that you two had a bit of an advantage there because you know people in the industry who would want to share these stories, but what was, I suppose the, what criteria did you have to go to to say this will be viable when it comes to uh, comes to launch? I
1: mean, in, in some ways the criteria was are you willing to spend two grand having it printed? <laughs> um, it, it was kind of that simple. I think a bigger issue is when we get to issue four and we're still spending two grand an issue to have it mm. printed. Uh, are we selling enough to justify that? Are we selling advertising? Are we selling enough copies so i think just to do it it's not a big deal well as as long as you can afford to spend two grand but to keep it going that's a challenge that's a clever part
2: but in terms of the business case i mean we know there's a big network of people out there in media and publishing magazine publishing specifically um so we knew there were people out there to reach and probably more bigger than our own networks which you know a pretty decent so we knew there was there were people out there to speak to to represent um so there was definitely that element to it too but of course something we haven't talked about as much like you're saying this indie magazine dog there was still a driver there that was we love print magazines we want to create a print magazine but we wanted to do it in a way that really honored the craft of it you know we we mm. Seen, not Obviously not all, some indie magazines, you know, they, they put together seemingly from a more aesthetic point of view and we wanted to make sure that the content was really well planned, really well considered. It represented what people actually cared about. Um, so we put a lot of thought into that as well.
1: I mean, it's also just, a grand experiment thing going on that we wanted just to prove that we could do it or find out why we couldn't do it.
2: Yeah, we'd no illusions that we were going to make millions of it. We wanted to make something that, you know, we decided that we we're going to do a finite number of issues. And we, by the end, it would be a collection, a real snapshot of the industry. and We'd have covered some great stuff and it'd be something that people would keep and refer to. So we'd know kind of big dreams in the sense that we thought that was going to be a, you know, this epic uh, <laughs> kind of new step for us career wise did we but we wanted to try doing it see what the process was of doing it document that process see if anything that we learned along the way could help other people with that process Um, and so we're trying to be really honest about the making of it as well as the issues that are in it
3: you talked about craft can we talk about that first cover if, uh, the first cover illustration because if you, if you haven't seen the guys like you need to google the first issue of the grub street journal because it's just it's
2: just bonkers it's great it is bonkers we wanted it to explode onto the scene i suppose and i'd been working with someone well, a graphic designer and illustrator and know stuff's just mental and sweary and yeah psychedelic and hurts your head a little bit and has an energy about it in the yeah, meantime, I, but why would
0: that appeal to the two of you? That's it. I mean, that's a, <laughs> I don't understand it.
2: And then in the meantime, Peter had always had this idea of it being the Don Quixote issue. So this, this kind of dogged gentleman riding on this knackered horse, you
1: know, determinedly
2: <laughs> trying to get to where he wanted to get to, and so that very much represented what a lot of people in uh, magazine publishing sometimes I think feel like they're doing but we wanted to kind of contrast that kind of old illustration with this new modern slightly crazy slightly unhinged uh, energetic vibe that came from the illustration and we thought that really captured the kind of push pull of what being in magazines like you've got that that kind of um, optimism and idealism and, and uh, yeah, positivity and this really crazy mix of people that are making these things happen. But, yeah, overall, like Esther says, we wanted something that people were just like, oh, my God, what the <laughs> hell is that?
1: I think the other thing was to make sure that people didn't automatically go, oh, another B2B magazine.
2: Yeah, hmm. we definitely wanted to position ourselves almost like a an anti- Anti-B2B is in the classic <laughs> sense of B2B. Uh, um, we both worked on a lot of B2B magazines and, you know, some of them are great design. I'm not knocking them, but we wanted it to look as far away from that as possible.
0: So why did you decide then to go down the print route for this? Why was it important to do it in print versus, say, doing it as a digital-only experiment? We
1: well, the f- fun and not
0: Yeah! <laughs> okay, that's all I wanted. <laughs>
1: oh, thank you. <laughs> There's a space for doing this kind of stuff in digital. But, you know, what Joe was talking about, the craft. So flat planning, a print magazine. Mm. I was talking to Rob Orchard de- that de- Delayed Gratification the other day. Um, we got into talking about flat planning and magazine pacing. And, and Rob was saying, you know, a website doesn't have a flat plan. Mm. There's no such thing. Um, so that was part of it. And it's
2: it's infinite, potentially, isn't it, as you, we know Whereas to do print, it's a, a very carefully curated um, set of features, articles, interviews. They put together in the order that they put together for a reason. So yeah, that comes back to what we were saying about the craft. We wanted to do that. How do we encapsulate some of the, some of the big issues in magazine publishing in a limited number of pages and in a way that people would keep it and collect it?
1: Also, one thing I would say but Digital, it's really hard to do it well, <laughs> yeah. You know, to do well, a, 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 an interesting B2B type website or newsletter or whatever that's like, it's really hard work. And like Joe says, it's it's endless.
3: Um, I've read both issues so far and I've absolutely loved them. Um, <laughs>
1: uh,
3: <laughs> you, I think <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> I think one of the biggest things is that it, it you can tell when it comes from people that love what they're writing about, and it it's from not that I'm calling you too niche, but you are kind of niche. <laughs> <laughs> it's <Generally>. from <laughs> it's from a niche group to a niche group. Like my, my husband saw it at my best, side him, I was like, "What the hell is that?" <laughs> and he's sort of looking at it like, "Like I, I don't understand this." It. That that's fine, but it, it it's from it's from a team that are sort of passionate about that that the industry and passionate about this sort of particular craft to people that are that feel the same way, and that's why I think if. If you're listening to this and you have any remote interest in magazines, it, in fact, it, it's kind of even wider than that it? Because like, you cover quite a bit on sort of like revenue and all that in the in the latest issue. Go and get it. Like it, it's it's a really lovely read. And I'm not involved in it at all, so I can say that as a <laughs> relatively unbiased reader. Um, but it's it was really nice. It's it's nice for me just to actually read. Gosh, I sound so old. Actually, reading physical <laughs> format.
0: Um, well, I suppose that goes back to what they were saying about it having to be a print title to actually deliver upon what they wanted it to do
3: yeah are there no, are there no is campaign not no campaign stopped printing now campaign it?
0: has campaign has stopped printing marketing week stopped printing the drum stopped printing b you know did like a
3: pop-up thing
0: but yeah, yeah but that's again that's not a regular sort of like thing
3: okay so there is in publishing but that's not technically marketing is it and you guys have got a bit of a thing about in publishing
1: <laughs> what's well, interesting that Esther mentioned in publishing in publishing is a great magazine I've read it since it used to be called In Circulation, uh, which was, I don't know, decades ago. I've written for it. I know James Evilly; He's a very smart, switched-on man. In Publishing is a very functional magazine. It does a job. It tells you how to do your job better. And it's not about the emotion of magazine publishing. Uh, so, I mean, I've spoken to James about this, and I described uh, Grub Street, as and publishing's evil twin, and it's that idea that we're coming at the same subject but from a very different place. So, but then
3: that's what you're saying before about the people, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I wouldn't say we'd want it to be a coffee table or a nice object, although the design is obviously important to us, as I think it should be for print thin- magazines. But because we we operate on a quarterly basis, so we can't be doing like rolling news. We we can't, we've got to speak in more general terms than kind of topical terms. Um, So we're trying to cover things that will have more longevity, aren't we? Um, Things, I mean, some of it won't be, but we're we're trying to, we're aiming for the more evergreen angle Um, again, so people keep it, not just because it's a nice thing. Or a lovely magazine, but because it's a reference point. This all feels really like super
3: positive. What are some of the more difficult things you found about doing it?
0: Esther, thank you you for getting onto that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. So, in a way, we picked an absolutely insane time to do it. You know, the prices are massive. You know, people are querying the longevity of print, obviously, as they have done for a while now. Um, It is tougher than ever to sell online. You know the marketplace is crowded. There's all sorts of stuff that makes it really tough. So in a way, it was a bit daft. But then we thought, that's why. Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's we are the 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 chief idiots. Um, that's why we wanted to do it. We're like, okay, it's tough. It's tough for other people. So let's try it out. Let's see what we can fix, solve, discover. And see if we can kind of pass that on in some way. How
0: have you found, because obviously being an enthusiast title and being B2B as well, the opportunity for discovery is quite limited. You know, you're Mm. you're talking to a very small relative audience. Have you found actually getting the word out there about what you're doing and, you know, why people should buy it? It's actually
2: really hard. Um, You know, we talk on LinkedIn about it, for example, and we get good responses, but... in total honest we might spend I don't know an hour doing a social media post, and that might sell us one copy. Instagram mm. isn't a great platform unless you've got a zillion followers. Twitter's mm. died on its ass. Um, that was a <laughs> massive, massive kind of source of network, network for you, wasn't it? Um, so it is really hard. The visibility is really difficult, uh, and we are in some physical shops, but that's not our primary. Sold um, five
1: copies in Bangkok. Baby.
0: <laughs> yes! Was that print on demand or was that, I presume no. that was print on demand. What? You no. shipped a couple of issues out there.
1: We've got, uh, we work with a distributor called Ra and Ollie, Um and he's got us into Toronto, Bangkok. i probably need to look at the spreadsheet. That is well good. Why then, when you
0: began, was it sort of important that it be independently funded rather than actually going out and trying to come up with a collection of people who would crowdfund each and every issue. How honest do you want us to be about this? Well, Peter, exactly as honest as you want all the other guests on Media Voices to
1: be. Brutally, brutally honest, <laughs> relentlessly optimistic. it ain't too long to crowdfund it mm. on the first issue. We just wanted to do it. We decided, okay, let's do this. Um, we set a date of April 1st and we spent all our time making it. So, to be spending your time doing Kickstarter pages and little videos and figuring out what rewards were, it just felt like a distraction. Mm. We've looked at it again for future issues, and there's, you know, we might do it. Interestingly, when I was talking to Rob Orchard, Rob said, Yeah, Kickstarter, great, but you don't get people's payment details the way you do if you set up a subscription offer. True. So there are reasons for not doing Kickstarter and there's loads of reasons for doing it. On that, on that subscription question, why did you decide to sell, sell single issues and not subscriptions? I think
2: the honest answer is we didn't know how many issues we were going to be able to do. <laughs> so we didn't want to com- make people commit to something that we there was a chance we couldn't deliver on. Right, that's the kind of pragmatic answer,
1: right? 100%.
2: But Obviously, there was other things like we, because of the time we gave ourselves to do it, we didn't have enough time to figure that kind of thing out. That's something that we've been looking at as we've gone along. But yeah, I think probably if I could go back in time, I think that would have been a better move.
1: Uh, I think the other thing we're looking at now is a recurring quarterly payment, mm. which is a subscription by any other name. But it's, you're not saying we're going to deliver 10 issues or... 20 issues or whatever
0: the hell. Yeah, 20 issues in a quarter seems like. It might be quite a bit.
1: 20 issues in a decade.
0: (laughs) Well, then before we get on to print in general, you've always started this with an eye on sharing some of your expertise, some of the things you've learned from doing it. There are two issues out there right now. What would you say have been some of the biggest lessons about production, distribution, pagination, uh, cover? art choosing that you've uh, that you want to impart to people.
2: I think the big one for me would be um, our lives would have been so much easier if we'd have had someone on marketing and ad sales. Mm. That for me would be might oh, be a huge weight off our shoulders because, like I said, we're doing it via social media and via getting into people's newsletters and things, and it's a bit of a slog, you know. Having other people having other people to help us get out there would have made a big, big difference. So. Whole new extra respect for marketing and ad sales people. That's one of my big lessons.
1: Oh, I mean, ad sales. We know that's an issue from media voices. Uh, it's an issue all the way through media. So yeah, um, two things for me. One is well, enjoying the fact that print is so different from digital, but mm. actually properly recognising that. You know, it was really funny that when the, that I was first writing for the magazine. I was writing these tiny little paragraphs, and Joe's like, "What the f*** are you doing? <laughs> because you can you can write differently for print. It looks different. Also, I wasn't putting any subheads in. And so again, she's like, "What the f- is?
0: We, I mean, to be fair, you should be putting subheads into your writing for the
1: media voices yeah, as well. Do I as, mean- you don't do it as often, and it's just different. Uh, the other thing is f- the idea of print versus digital. Any dickhead that is still banging that drum seriously needs to have a word with himself. It's print well. And just uh, Okay,
0: All now, real. obviously, it's different being B2B versus being an enthusiast, Mag. But what would you say are some of the arguments that you would make for doing a solely print product?
3: Yeah, which which Grub still want. is at the
0: moment.
1: Mm-hmm. No, Grub still
3: is solely print it's, at the moment, isn't
1: it? It's actually purely sold. Digitally, you can have a purely print title. The Week Junior is primarily a print title, but all of their marketing, so much of their sales, say all the marketing, but a lot of the marketing, so much of their sales is digital. Mm. So my point is not you've got to have digital content. My point is you have to have digital sales, digital marketing. Am I getting on, a bit man. mad? I thought I
3: thought the whole print versus digital thing was about having your content online versus in digital. Like, marketing's a whole different ballgame. Or am I just no, getting I'm right
0: gonna, saying there? No, no, no. I'm going to agree doing with stuff. Esther here. But no, I think I'm going to agree with Esther because I feel like a lot of the discussion around print B digital is talking about the relative value of having access to the digital audience versus... No, both. No, I agree, but you're talking just about because this because we haven't
1: done it yet. It's not because we can't be arsed. It's because we haven't quite figured out how to take people's money off them.
2: Yeah, and I think it's <laughs> and worth that's saying, interesting. Yeah, it's worth saying, right, that we yes, we wanted to primarily do a print product, but we recognise that some people want to access digital content, and there are some people outside the UK that might want not want to pay the shipping fees and all that kind of practical stuff. So we are now looking at ways that we can share certain content. Some stuff for free. If there's some kind of payment system, we kind we are kind of looking at all that. It's still going to pr- be primarily the print magazine. Can we but can we whisper the micro payments word? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even consider micro <micropayments. laughs> What we didn't want was um, the digital offering, if you like, to just be a, a online replica PDF or whatever of the magazine. That was really really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? Because it's not it's not a great experience to read, is it? I mean, flipping through digital magazines is horrible, uh, zooming in and out of it, um that not holding a print product, you know all of that kind of thing is just yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work. We wanted if we were going to do something digital, we wanted it to add to what we were doing rather than just be the same thing in a slightly different
0: format yeah, when you i mean it's a different thing, you're not limited by space. There is a different reading experience, so I don't want to um, out myself as a geek here, but I read a lot of comics, and I, I also have a bunch of digital apps. <laughs> I have a bunch of digital apps for reading comics. It's not the same experience at all, yeah. and it's the same
1: for magazines. I'm not saying every digital publication is shit. What I'm saying is. If you take a print PDF and try to repurpose it, you're up against a whole heap of challenges to make it an enjoyable experience. Mm. You know, you've got the likes of people, whatever, PuckPig or any of the app companies, they take content, they reflow it, it looks lovely on a phone. That's really expensive for an indie publisher like us. And too many indie publishers go straight to, I won't mention any company's names, but they go straight to those flipping replica skeuomorphic platforms and they're not the best we didn't want to do that
0: i appreciate you sneaking the word skeuomorphism in i do, I do. appreciate I that do. Yeah.
2: I feel like <laughs> that was impressive
1: so one of the things that we are thinking about is distributing content through the media voices website which already has an audience but using micropayments or some kind of that would allow us to charge people to read Grub Street content on the Media Voices website. So that is under review. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What would you
0: say then in 2023, in light of what Peter and Joe are doing, in light of what's happened with um, Enthusiast Mag's mass market titles, what would you say then is the state of print at this point?
3: It's actually got a bit weird. So (laughs) (laughs) there's been like a kind of... And, and like honestly five years ago I was I was the worst print cynic um, there's just been a weird number of stories where people have been like oh this is making a comeback or like sales of this particular thing have increased I don't know if it's like the pandemic has just I don't know giving everybody sort of longing for, for things they can hold in their hands but um, this, it, these stories just keep cropping up about this sort of mini print resurgence it's really really odd um, so I mean NME is coming back into print I think that's just in the UK but um, enemies coming back. Um, L Australia. I was reading a story the other day, and and the the figures that had happened with um, the actual print sales copies. Of, uh, this is across the the, the board at this um, this company's magazines. Everything had just gone up by sort of between five and twenty percent. Um, and I mean, there's a whole thing like, oh, you know, generations are sort of buying all these print magazines. I don't. I, I don't know. It might just be millennials like me, kind of getting to the point where you're like, I just want to read a print magazine, not a phone. Um, I don't know it's just it's just a bit is this is this actually sort of a big resurgence or is this just is this like the vinyl comeback where actually it just ends up being like a teeny tiny blip on the charts of what was otherwise a massive decline
0: I know yeah but to be fair I I I think there is some validity to that analogy because vinyl is now an enthusiast's sort of thing we have seen a slight uptick in vinyl sales in general and I think that Even though we're not going to see the same necessarily in print, it's just going to be a longer tail. We are seeing that sort of enthusiast mindset to print as a format.
2: When you're talking about print's flaws, that you say that it's a limited thing that you have to sit down with, like that's a negative when it's often put forward as a positive, isn't it? You get to put your phone down and you get to hold this limited thing and you get to sit down with it. Is that that what you would primarily say is the floor of
0: And then use it to to light a barbecue.
2: (laughs) And then use it to kill spiders.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But Chrissy, I mean, you you said about it being like, you know, it's it's the sort of niche, it's the the indie magazine. This is what was really interesting about this this L piece is that the the magazine, you know, Australian Women's Weekly, Marie Claire, Vogue Australia, Women's Day, Harper's Bazaar, Rolling Stone. Those are not Niche titles, those, those are mass market titles that are seeing increases in readership, and that's not, um, that's not you know, enthusiasts, that is normal. <laughs> Sorry, I don't to compare people with enthusiasts, but that, <laughs> that is, um, you know, your, your standard everyday people thinking, Do you know what? I'm going to pick up a print magazine, I'm going to subscribe to a print magazine.
1: Enemy used to sell what 300,000 copies. Um, the BBC report that. Esther was mentioned. Says that uh, it'll be hundreds of copies that they're printing, and they're charging a tenner a go. So yeah, as enthusiastic in that sense. Um, but I, the vinyl thing still doesn't head I
0: Can I? Can I just check, Peter? Are you aggrieved because Enemy featured Rihanna still, or are you? No, i forgotten. So I suppose the, the question then is. We, I, th- I think you'd have to be a maniac at this point to say that print is ever going to occupy quite the role it once did in terms of how the consumer, you know, appreciates print. But from a business perspective, if you do increase the price that much and make it a collector's issue, what role is that now filling in a sort of uh, publisher's business model?
1: I think it's two different things for different publishing companies. Mm. You know, there's some companies that are just going through a, a, I don't know, a period of managed decline... They're just trying to get as much as they can out of those titles until they eventually just fall over. And we're talking about news specifically there. News is definitely like that. Yeah. Uh, Although news weeklies in print are doing really well. Yeah. You know, Private Eye is not really a news weekly, but Jesus, that thing just goes from strength to strength. Um, But then there's other companies that I think are doing, like Radio Times is a perfect example. They are doing really, really interesting things off the back of that print brand that let's face it they spent a hundred years building up (laughs) (laughs) that brand is the biggest revenue earner immediate media media now that's nuts
0: but i mean to your point it it's, it's a century deep at this point. It's steeped yeah. in history. It's steeped in brand recognition. And that's not something... Oh, and also, it has served a definite purpose for so much of that time.
1: That idea of looking at the radio at times to see what's on at 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night, is bonkers. Mm. You know, and with respect to my mother and her generation, <gasps> they're the only people that still look at print TV schedules.
2: Apart from at Christmas.
1: Oh, doesn't just do TV listings anymore. No, nope. it does mm-hmm. reviews. It does features. It's got podcasts. It's got newsletters. It's got behind-the-scenes shit. It's amazing, and that's that's the difference between companies that are just running down their print and companies that are using print as a proper springboard. Well, so, let me go on, Esther. So,
3: Chris, I think my answer to your question would be: I think probably the I mean, the days of easy print money are long, long gone. But that idea that you can just launch three cart magazines and there will be easy money to scoop up from it. You can launch how many like weird women's weeklies with weird real-life stories that, goodness knows where they're sourced from, that that kind of easy money where you can make obscene profits off the back of those kind of magazines are long, long, long gone. But if you know your audience and you've got a very clear proposition, whether that's Radio Times, whether that's an, an indie mag like Grub Street, whether well, that's Gardner's World, whether well, that's L, like if, if you know your audience and you've got a team behind it who who can make the content for that, there is still a decent business proposition in it. It's just not, we're just never going to be at those days where, you know, the, the margins were, were crazy. And that's he's fine.
0: Peter just, just did a very intense nod for the benefit of the
1: listener. No, it's true. <laughs> it's different. Print might be making a comeback. I don't think it ever went away. But anyway, um, the print titles that are going to succeed... Like Like Busted. The print titles that are going to succeed are going to be more niche, less frequent, more expensive to make and to buy, and there'll be less copies made. So, I mean, is print anything
0: special in that regard? I think it is. Look at what Yeah, but you got a magazine. Are. You got a magazine. Yeah. Of course it's oh, Look
1: it. at No, look, so look at what the guys at Caldecott I think it's Coldacot, that uh, is relaunching Enemy imprint. Mm. And their quote is they want to super serve their super fans. And I think it's that idea of this real core of real enthusiasts that will buy pretty much anything you make. And as a publishing company dealing with shite programmatic CPMs, that's got to be really attractive. So I think it's an opportunity. That's why magazines are doing so well. Mm. People just levering the shit out of their resources. So I think it's special and an opportunity. And you should buy my magazine.
2: I've carried the same 20 copies of L Magazine from 2007 uh, <laughs> through 12 house moves. That's a bit nuts.
0: No, I feel like you've just uh, completely explained why you wanted to launch a print magazine.
3: You would hate me, Joe. My, my rule is, I read the magazine and then I recycle it once it's done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I haven't, I haven't recycled Grub yet. Grub is well, too beautiful to recycle. Double them, don't pulp. But I actually spoke to someone from. Um, I spoke to someone from Liper and. Um, she was saying, actually, rather than focusing on, say, like recycling, I've got a bit a bit off tan- bit off tangent here. Um, that it's more important than ever because of things like paper costs and whatever to make something that does last. That make to make something that people will want to keep. To make to produce content that makes people stay longer on the page. That that is honoring print and paper more than anything else could. Like,
0: so are we talking about almost a di- direct comparison to like fast fashion where yeah, it's like exactly. you actually want to be investing in the higher quality stuff because it lasts longer and it provides greater value over, like, lifetime. Yes. It just happens yes. that this is information-based rather than fabric-based.
2: Yes, that's my new line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Esther, I think we have we we could talk about print NLC, and I know we will. We have done in previous years now a Media Moments report. What would you say, Ben, are some of the things that we need to be coming into 2024 and beyond? What do you think are going to be some of the biggest conversations around Print.
3: I think it's going to be realistic expectations. And yeah. that's what I found really interesting about that enemy, um, the enemy coming back into print, is that they've said that the print run is going to be in the hundreds rather than the hundreds of thousands. But the advertiser seems to get that now. And I don't know if that's just because so many magazines have disappeared and and the idea of sort of being associated with them is now that it's a sort of you know luxury collectible. Um, but I mean there's certainly no shortage of ad revenue for for print magazines. Um but it's it's that sort of idea that of just being more intentional, and you know, print is not a a a, a volume proposition. Mm. Um, nor should nor should any media be. To be honest, we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> but it, and and I will say this is talking specifically about magazines. Like newspapers are a whole like other oh. conversation which we just don't have time for today. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it, it's, it's being more intentional and it's being more realistic and kind of seeing that as a as a superpower, not as a limitation.
0: Okay, well, then let me ask you this as a very final question. I'm going to throw this out to all of you. What about print as an expression of belonging in much the, way, the same way that, you know, wearing a T-shirt would be or, you know you know, a band T-shirt or carrying a tote or whatever? What would you say is the value of print as an expression of membership
1: Mm-hmm. We just got four hundred badges printed to take to magazine Street. Um that's the only reason to do it. We want people to become members of grub Street gang. um so whether they buy a badge, whether they buy the magazine, whether they buy a print of the cover to put on their wall and they're they're part of it and they want to show that off. um can I
0: see? can I just say something quick? You mentioning that has just r- reminded me of what. The Grub Street gang puts me in mind of. It's the Bash Street kids. Yeah, totally.
2: (laughs) And that is why Peter now wears school shorts on a daily basis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, look, once we start doing video podcast, that will become immediately obvious.
1: Terry White talked a lot about this. Uh, the idea that you belong to a gang, that you're a, for, in her case, you're an empire reader. Mm-hmm. So whether that means you carry empire around with you and look really cool on the tube or in a pub or whatever. Or whether it means that you're online in the forums and joining in. And actually, then a geek when it was founded. Yeah. That was a big, big part of that. It was people mm-hmm. belonging So I'm not sure that's just a print thing. The one thing a printlet should do is carry it around with you and show off. And I guess that is important. Yeah, it definitely is.
2: Maybe for the New Yorker more than Grub Street. (laughs) I
1: beg your pardon. (laughs) So I'm doing a feature in this issue on magazine people who have tattoos. Mm. Um, Basically just the story behind their tattoos, why they got tattoos, get them to send us some pictures of their tattoos. And it was all inspired... By Mark Alka, who yeah. actually literally has the single track logo tattooed on his arm. <laughs> um, you know
3: sorry, what? why are you getting why are you getting the Grub logo before you're getting the Media Voices logo, Peter?
0: Oh, she makes a great uh, point. I, I know. I feel really bad. You should. <laughs> Good.
2: <Yeah. laughs> get get, get one both on each
1: cheek. <laughs> Which cheek? That's a print thing. I, I was leaving Media that ambiguous. As podcast. It's <laughs> not as cool. Oh, come on.
2: The next issue of Grub, the theme is why won't print lie down and die? Nice. <laughs> so very topical. A nice zombie theme going on. And that is out <laughs> on the 31st of October. And you can get it from Grubstreetjournal.com.
0: Where you'll soon be able to get t-shirts and tattoo designs. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget that you can also sign up to our daily newsletter uh, and our community. You can go to voices.media.
3: And we will be dealing with print as a chapter in our Media Moments 2023 report. How is it nearly the end of the year already? Where, like, where's that gone? Uh, so if you want to sign up to pre-download that, we've got the page just live. Um, you can pre-download it at voices.media mm 23 and we will send it to you as soon as it is published.
1: Um. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring Media Moments, don't believe we've actually signed anyone up quite yet. So there's an opportunity for you right there.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This is the first episode of the autumn season of Media Voices. But for now, thank you so much for listening. I've been Chris Sutcliffe. We don't do this normally.
3: <laughs> I've been Esther Thought
2: past tense.
1: <laughs> I want to be Peter Houston. And Joe.
2: And I still am Joanna Cummings
0: now
1: thank you so much for listening
0: we'll see you next week and goodbye
1: ta